And uh, in the last few weeks, uh, we've been spending some time in the book of Galatians, uh, so the Apostle Paul's letter to all the churches in Galatia, and specifically looking at um, Paul's description of the fruit of the Spirit. And understanding the fruit of the Spirit and what the fruit of the Spirit is, what it does in our lives, how it grows in us, is a really important part of understanding how God's Spirit works in the lives of believers. Uh, and so I'm going to continue with that today. I'll be furthering, further unpacking uh, that passage, Galatians 5:22 to 25. Um, and hopefully by looking at this over multiple weeks, because uh, Rich is going to be continuing uh, with this next week as well, um, we can actually understand uh, and see more of the breadth and richness of what this passage of Scripture is saying than we could if we had uh, only one week uh, on it. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you, Father God, that you reveal yourself to us through your word. Um, We pray this morning that you would do that, that you would show us more and more of you, that you would help us to understand more of uh, the mysteries of how you work in our lives and of your spirit. Uh, And Father, just uh, move us to a greater awe of you and a greater love and trust uh, and faith in you through what we think about and read this morning. Amen. So uh, the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit that we're drawing out this morning uh, will be uh, this, that growing in the fruit of the Spirit is a fundamentally internal change. So it, it happens in the heart. So what we're talking about when we say that, uh, when, we, when we say growth in the fruit of the Spirit uh, is in essence an inner transformation. And that has uh, a number of different implications that we're going to be wrestling with today and thinking about today. And I've always been struck by how, in some ways, the work of the Spirit in our hearts and in our lives uh, is quite extraordinary, totally mind-blowing. The fact that uh, God would turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And at the same time, it can be quite ordinary-looking in other ways. So while God totally uh, reorients us towards him and his his purposes, and that's completely extraordinary, um, he also also grows us in goodness and patience and kindness and self-control. These are really ordinary-seeming things and not not really considered glamorous in today's, today's culture. And maybe that indicates a sort of wrong thinking in our culture, We love external change. We celebrate far less the person who's grown in goodness and kindness than we do the person who's lost 25 kilos and got a six-pack. And we celebrate external success. You know, the the young entrepreneur who who has become a millionaire by age 30. Um, But internal change, internal growth, it doesn't seem that interesting to us. And don't get me wrong, of course, inner change, change that occurs in your heart, um, has flow-on effects to how we act and how we're perceived externally, but it's fundamentally the internal heart change that the Spirit is working out in us. So how it looks externally isn't the focal point. So let's read the passage again, and then we'll get into it. Like I said, we're in Galatians 5, uh, verses 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. A few weeks ago, uh, Wilson kicked off our mini-series on the fruit of the Spirit and gave us a really helpful overview of the broader context of this letter, um, and especially the, the, the context of the Galatians, the sort of spiritual background that they came from, um, and the, the fact that they were brought into true freedom in the gospel and were then being led astray by some false teaching again. Um, and he talked about how the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit are symmetrical. So these aren't individual attributes that sort of grow and develop in isolation from one another, uh, but the fruit of the Spirit is something that, uh, that grows at once in, in our hearts uh, at the same time. So the, the, the different attributes come together. And then last week, Matt spoke about how the fruit of the Spirit is inevitable in the life of the believer. So we know with total certainty that God will complete the growth in us that he started because he promises that in his word. In his word. Um, and that's because it doesn't depend on our own power, but on the power and grace of God. So if you weren't here for either of those two weeks, I want to really highly recommend going back and listening to both of those online because uh, it's really helpful. Uh, and that's where I'm picking it up from today. So like I said, we're building on that, thinking through what it means that uh, life in the spirit is a life of inner heart transformation. So the fruit of the Spirit are not primarily things that we do or things that are external to our hearts, like intelligence, for example. They relate to uh, a fundamental internal transformation that then works, it, works its way out into our external lives. So in order to uh, understand how inner transformation works, uh, by the power of the Spirit. I think it helps to think about it in terms of uh, the concepts of regeneration and sanctification. Those concepts uh, sort of describe how uh, the Spirit's inner transformation work takes place. And we've heard them come back uh, at various times throughout the broader series we've been doing on the work of the Spirit in our lives. So regeneration is that uh, initial miraculous work of God's Spirit by which we who are spiritually dead are made alive in Christ. Our hearts of stone are turned into hearts of flesh that are able to believe, that are able to repent and trust Jesus. And then flowing on from regeneration is sanctification, which is God continuing that inner transformation in our hearts. Um, so he, he began the transformation at regeneration, and, and while your heart was totally made alive in Christ at the moment you were saved. So there is a real and decisive heart transformation that takes place there. There's also an ongoing continuation of that transformation to continuously make you more and more holy, more and more like Jesus. Romans 8.29 says that we are predestined to be conformed to the image of God's Son. So he's, he's continuing to transform us. And then as Matt preached last week, uh, we can be confident that he's going to complete that work in us. He's going to complete the transformation uh, when Christ returns, because he, he promises that to us in his word. So that's, that's kind of the process of inner transformation by the Spirit's work and power. Regeneration that enables putting our trust in Christ. Sanctification that helps us to grow more and more to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. 
and then finally completion of that transformation, which uh, will, will be made complete on the day Jesus returns. And I think um, this helps us to understand uh, the fruit of the Spirit and growing in the fruit of the Spirit better because the fruit of the Spirit is part of sanctification. The two are actually inseparable ideas, really. Growing in the fruit of the Spirit is growing in Christ-likeness. And that's because uh, the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, they reflect the very heart and character of Christ. And that reveals a whole lot about the, the entire point and motivation behind this. So what, what are we moving towards here? The goal isn't to feel, uh, isn't to look good externally or feel good internally, uh, to feel better about ourselves in some way. But this is part of something much more significant, much more profound, that we're being made ever more like Jesus, that we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. And so we see the fruit of the Spirit perfectly displayed uh, in Jesus. And that's not surprising because Christ and the Holy Spirit are one and the same God. But what I think is really uh, mind-blowing about this is that what's really happening as the Spirit does His work in your life, as the Spirit bears fruit in your heart, is that you're being transformed to have the very heart and character of God himself. And in some way, you become what the Bible calls a, a partaker in the divine nature. So you, in some sense, start to share in God's nature as you become increasingly like him. In 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, Peter says that uh, God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And one of the promises, one of the great promises that it's talking about there is the, the promise of the Holy Spirit filling believers. So reading Galatians 5 in light of that, I think really amplifies its magnificence. So how do, we, uh, how do these attributes reflect Christ's heart? Well, the first attribute that's mentioned uh, is love, which is the most clear and direct uh, reflection of God's character that there is. So in 1 John 4.8, it says that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And Jesus, of course, reflects this. We see uh, Jesus' love uh, reflected uh, throughout his entire ministry in the pages of the Gospels. And then we have joy, uh, which Jesus talked about in John 15, 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. But Jesus had great joy in obeying his Father uh, even in the midst of opposition and suffering because his uh, desires and his, um, his attitudes and his hopes are aligned with those of his fa father. And then we get to peace. And Isaiah refers to the Christ as being no less than the prince of peace in Isaiah chapter 9 and says that there'll be no end to the peace in his kingdom. 
And ultimately, of course, God reconciling sinners to himself brings peace because we are no longer God's enemies, but we're God's children. And in the same way, kindness, which means having a generous heart towards others, is likewise a characteristic of God, a characteristic of the heart of Jesus. Titus 3.4 says that when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Jesus is kind, and he shows unimaginable generosity of heart towards us. And then in the same way, uh, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these are all attributes of the heart of God displayed in Jesus. And all these things, the entire fruit of the Spirit, reflects that divine nature that we get to partake in. And so that's what the Spirit is transforming our hearts into as he bears his fruit in our lives. Now, so far, um, I've emphasized the internal heart nature of the Spirit's transformative fruit-bearing work in us. But there's, of course, also an important external element to this. Because growth uh, in the fruit of the Spirit, which transforms your heart, it must inevitably flow out into your external life, your life in community with others. So true fruit that's born of the Spirit, it will become externally visible. And although it happens internally, it, it can't be contained to your internal life. And last weekend, I was chatting with my friend Rich about this, uh, and he started telling me about this natural phenomenon that happens in some fruits called vivipary. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And I'm not a biologist, and neither is Rich, so I might explain this inaccurately. But um, basically, vivipary is where you have a fruit that initially looks like any other fruit of its kind. But uh, what happens is that new little plants, little shoots of that fruit, start to grow from the seeds while they're still inside the fruit. And so eventually, that becomes externally visible. The shoots start to break through the fruit wall. Um, and they start to form new little fruits while they're still attached to that parent fruit. And it, um, it looks kind of creepy when you see it, I think. But um, we did think that was quite a cool illustration of something growing inside you which then has to work its way out and, and become externally visible because it can't be contained. And so lots of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit find their most natural outworking in your external life in the context of community. Uh, because the, the state of your heart impacts, it has to impact how you relate to other people. So you can't be loving or gentle or kind in isolation. And positive, positively phrased, if your heart is full of the fruit of the Spirit, people will notice that. They'll see uh, the love of Christ in you. They'll notice the Spirit's gentleness in you. It'll have a wonderful effect on how you live. And that uh, seeing those things in someone is a huge encouragement to believers, and it's a huge, it's a great witness to those who don't yet believe. So the Spirit transforms our hearts from the inside out, and that manifest, manifests itself in how we live in community, uh, in our relationships with others. And we see this in some of Paul's uh, further instructions 
in the verses that follow in Galatians as well. So in chapter 6, he writes this, starting at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And let us not grow weary of doing good. So this is continuing on from verse 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. And that description of living in Christian community uh, so clearly reflects the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit working itself out in people's relationship with others. As we see here, um, dealing with each other in a spirit of gentleness. We see self-control in helping others deal with sin while keeping watch on yourself. We see patience and love in bearing one another's burdens. And we see goodness and kindness in striving to do good to everyone. And imagine what our community would look like uh, if we always loved one another, if we always had joy that overflowed uh, to each other, if we lived totally at peace with each other and bore each other's burdens, if we showed each other kindness and always were striving to do good to each other and treat people with gentleness. That's a, a wonderful picture and that's a community of people with hearts totally transformed by the Spirit. That's what that looks like. And of course, uh, we're all on a journey. None of us is fully arrived in our Christ-likeness. But that wonderful vision of community is ultimately where the journey that the Spirit has us on is leading us. So far, uh, we've looked at both the internal heart transformation element uh, as well as the external changed life, changed living element that comes through the spirit bearing fruit in our lives. But when we're talking about internal change and external change, I think it's also important to rightly understand the emphasis and order that these things happen in. Because if, you're, if you aren't careful with that, uh, you can really easily find yourself back exactly where Paul didn't want the Galatians to be which was in thinking that there were additional things that uh, people had to do in order to be Christians. So, of course, both uh, inner holiness and external righteousness are good things, but one must come before the other. External righteousness, which is living aligned with how God instructs us and wants us to live, uh, it, it must come after, it must be born out of inner transformation by the Spirit. Because external righteousness uh, without inner transformation is just legalism, it's just rule following. And sanctification isn't primarily, it's not in essence a matter of becoming a better and more disciplined rule follower. It's a matter of the Spirit making your heart more and more like Jesus. It's about, uh, it's about your desires and your affections being aligned with those of God by the Spirit's power. And I think getting that nuance right helps us understand what Paul means when he says in Galatians that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
You might have uh, initially been confused when you read that because just a few uh, verses later when Paul's describing, describing life in the Spirit, he presents this list of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. And you might have said, well, that sounds like more rules to follow or more things to do, but that's not what this list is. Like I said, the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, um, they are first and foremost a description of the heart of Christ. And that will lead to a changed life. But it all starts in here, with God transforming your heart, and that works its way outwards. So uh, what part do we play in this? The glaring question is, uh, if this is fruit that is grown in us by the Spirit, do we have any part to play in cultivating this growth in our lives? And I think there is a role for us to play. I think the scriptures make that clear. There is, of course, a bit of a tension uh, because the, the Spirit produces the fruit, yet we also have an active role to play in walking in step with the Spirit. In Galatians 5, uh, there is quite a bit of active language that's used. So verse 25 says, for example, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Um, or the way that it's translated in the Dutch that I read literally uh, means let us follow in the direction that the Spirit is pointing or leading us on. And so how might those things fit together? Well, I think uh, in some sense we have a role in creating the right conditions, in creating the optimal conditions for the Spirit to work in our lives and to bear fruit in us. My grandfather used to be uh, a surgeon, and he told me something a few months ago that really stuck with me. He said that often when he would perform a surgery, as he was finishing up, you know, he would uh, sew everything up, he'd pack away his tools, clean everything, and then he would say, right, well, we've put everything in place, put everything in the right position, and now it's up to God to do the healing. Um, and I think with the fruit of the Spirit, it's a little bit like that. There are things we can do to create the right conditions for growth to put things in place that God can then do his work with. Uh, or uh, another example, um, Jess and I, we, we love the idea of having plants in and around our apartment. But um, if anyone's ever seen our balcony out the back of our apartment, we are total plant killers. Um, so I think the reason for that is pretty simple. We, we just don't water them. I think we watered them last about a year ago. But um, we used to blame it on the fact that we lived in Australia, which is, you know, a dry and, and drought-stricken land. But um, now that we live in the Netherlands, we still kill all our plants. So I guess we're out of excuses. But I think it's fair to say we don't create the right conditions for growth in, uh, on our balcony. We don't create the right conditions for growth of those plants. Um, so what can we be doing to create the right condition for growth in our hearts? for fruit-bearing, for the Spirit's fruit-bearing work in our hearts? Well, first and foremost, uh, and you might say this is a cliche, but it won't stop me saying it because I think it's so true, is being in the Word of God. So reading the Scriptures and letting them saturate your mind. Because the Word of God is incredibly powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says that it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning 
the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Actually, in Ephesians 6, God's word is described as the sword of the Spirit. So the Spirit uses the word as a tool to do his work. That work of, uh, of magnifying Jesus and of emboldening us for mission and of bearing fruit in our hearts and our lives. I've heard it said that uh, the word is to spirit as the scalpel is to surgeon. And so I'm, I'm really convinced that this is one of the most effective ways that we can create the right conditions for spiritual growth in our lives. When you look at the attributes of the fruit of the spirit, uh, so many of them are born out of a right understanding of the truths in God's word. So understanding the extent of God's love and kindness to us has to breed love and kindness in our own hearts. And understanding the depths of God's grace uh, evokes joy. And knowing that uh, we are reconciled to God brings us peace. And understanding God's sovereignty and that all things are being worked out according to his plan uh, brings us patience because we trust that God has all things under control. And I think the, the list goes on, really. Um, these, a proper understanding of, of the truths in God's word um, will bring about um, more growth in the fruit of the Spirit. And when we saturate our minds uh, with the truth of God's word, I think the Holy Spirit can use that to impress those truths deeply on our hearts. I think uh, another thing we can do to create the right conditions for growth is to seek out and embrace Christian community. We were talking before about community being uh, one of the places, actually the, the primary context in which spiritual fruit is exercised. But being in community with each other, particularly in Christian community, um, can definitely also positively help us to grow in God, to grow in those things. The Spirit can use those around us to grow the fruit in us even more. And Matt, uh, Matt was encouraging us too in that last week. I'm reminded of uh, Proverbs 27:17, where it says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 uh, also really helps us in this. Uh, there it says, let us consider how to stir one another up to good works, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near. So Christian community is a place where we can stir one another up to love and good works, where we can encourage one another in God and help each other to grow. So if you're a Christian and you're not connected to a community, you're not committed to a church, I want to strongly advise you to do that. Commit to a community and open yourself up to sharpen others and to be sharpened by others. Of course, um, there are also some things that may be standing in the way, some obstacles that may be standing in the way of uh, us flourishing in the fruit of the Spirit. There may be things in our lives or patterns of thinking um, that create obstacles for that. So firstly, uh, we've been talking a bit about life in community and how the fruit of the Spirit, how growth in that fruit flows out into your life in community. But it's possible to be really active in church um, and to, to not be growing in the fruit of the Spirit at all. 
you might be really busy at church, perhaps uh, partly to convince yourself that you're growing in God, uh, or because there's still some sort of subconscious legalism in your thinking. And it can certainly even be the case that you're being a huge blessing to those around you, uh, and that you're helping others to grow, that they're really benefiting from the things you're doing, but that your own heart uh, isn't growing in the fruit of the Spirit at all. And of course, being a blessing to others and being involved in other people's growth is a wonderful thing and is one of the huge blessings of community. But if your own heart is not also being transformed, uh, then that's not the spirit, that's not the fruit of the spirit growing in you. That's not the true Christian change that is available for you. And if that's the case for you, uh, you might actually need to take a moment to step back from some of the things that you're doing and to, to come back to Jesus afresh and to just learn to rest in his grace. Uh, secondly, um, not quite. if the uh, slides can be continued from the back, cheers. Secondly, um, it's possible out of a desire to be respected in the Christian community to sort of act like you're growing in the fruit of the Spirit, to show all the right external signs um, but to not actually be growing in the fruit of the Spirit. You may even have convinced yourself at some level, but if you're brutally honest with yourself, you know that this is a sort of counterfeit fruit um, that's, not, that's not a true, genuine change flowing out of a changed heart. And in our culture, we have been conditioned uh, to place great importance and value on the image of ourselves that we project to the outside world. And we're not, definitely not immune to that as Christians. And one of the ways in which that manifests itself is that we want to make sure we're being perceived as being good and virtuous. In fact, I think it probably even goes beyond just our postmodern cultural context. It's just really human to want to um, be liked, to want to be part of the crowd, and to want to fit in. And of course, what that looks like will... Uh, vary depending on what context you're in. But in the context of Christian community, that may well mean that you desire to be perceived as having the fruit of the Spirit uh, more than you desire to actually grow in the fruit of the Spirit. So your, your social media accounts, your Instagram or your Twitter might really reflect um, an image of someone who's really joyful and patient, who's full of love and inner peace, but in reality, um, you struggle with anxiety and you have a lot of insecurity and, and envy and bitterness in your heart. So it might be good to reflect on, you know, what would the Instagram account of your heart look like? Would that reflect what is actually uh, the image that you're actually projecting of yourself? And if that strikes a chord with you, uh, I want to encourage you that we don't need to look for approval from people. We don't need to look for approval from anyone other than God. And that approval has been given to us freely through Jesus. He's given us his grace. So run to him, run to his grace, because it is so liberating and refreshing um, to be released from the burden of wanting to impress people and make the right impression, uh, even with those good things, but to, to live in the spirit in true freedom and to live only for uh, God, that is truly liberating.
That's what we were made for, and it, it truly gives rest to the soul. And thirdly, uh, we have to remember that the, the enemy is also active in hiding fruit in our lives from us. So um, the Bible calls the devil the prince of lies, and he's actively trying to sabotage our walk with Christ. And I think it's helpful to remember that, that there may well be fruit in our lives, but that we don't see it because it's actively being hidden from us. And that can be a serious source of doubt in our lives. I've certainly experienced that personally as well, um, doubting whether the Spirit is really in us because we don't see the fruit ourselves. But if we remember um, that the enemy is actively trying to hide these things uh, from us, I think that can help us. So this is also another area where community is such a huge blessing. So I want to encourage you all to encourage each other, to help each other see uh, when there is fruit in someone's life. So be that person who speaks encouragement. Be that person who speaks truth uh, to other people in your community. And tell them when you see evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in them, because that will encourage them and might really help them with, uh, with doubt that they're experiencing, because that fruit is being actively hidden from them themselves. And it's actually uh, it's a constantly recurring theme in the Bible, that what truly matters is the heart. So it totally makes sense that this is where the Spirit is at work and that this is where um, the, the, the true Christian change in our lives happens. We see some really clear examples of this uh, in Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 21 uh, to 22, Jesus is speaking about murder and anger. And he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Or similarly, in verse 27, he talks about lust. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So even if there's no external, uh, visible, sinful action, Jesus says here that what really counts is your inner disposition, what's going on in your heart. And I think that's because your heart is uh, a true barometer of what you worship. So you can act in all sorts of ways externally, but your heart knows who or what it worships, what it really yearns for. And God wants our deepest worship. He wants all of us. He doesn't just want what's at the surface, not just that we act in a, an externally correct-looking way. Uh, he wants that in our heart of hearts, we worship him and we see him as our greatest treasure. So what it all boils down to uh, is that the gospel itself is a matter of heart transformation. The gospel is a matter of your heart, of you in the deepest and truest sense, being pulled away from whatever else you're worshipping in your life and being gripped by the truth and the saving grace of Jesus. And even though our own hearts are incredibly fickle, God's Spirit makes it possible to be gripped by His grace because He does a deep work in you, a deep work of the heart to show you 
that he is the only one truly worthy of worship. So my question to you is, uh, will you invite him in to do this work in your heart? Let me pray and then we're going to share communion together. God, we are so thankful for your heart-transforming power at work in our lives. It is such a miracle that uh, even though our hearts are so fickle and changeable, that you change us, that you transform our hearts, that you turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and that you help us to become more and more like Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that when that Uh, when that reflects itself in how we live in community, that you give us such a, that is such a wonderful picture of community. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would continue to be at work in us, continue to make us more and more like Jesus, continue to grow in us the fruit of your spirit so that we can incredibly become partakers in the divine nature, in your nature, God. And Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, encourage each other in this and to help each other in this. Um, Yeah, so that we would not uh, doubt that you're at work in us, but that we can have full assurance and full uh, just thankfulness to you that, that we know you're doing this work in us and that you're completing this work in us. We thank you, Father, for your word. And I pray that your word um, would continue to work in us as we go back into our days and into our weeks, that you would continue to reveal more and more of what this truth means to us. In Jesus' name, amen.